Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, man, it feels good to be back in the Lord's house today. I've said that a million times, but it really does. And, and boy, let me tell you, it, it's, it's right to be back here. I know many of you have been on vacation and trips just like uh, Don and I have been, but let me assure you that we... Uh, a vacation sometimes is what you need before you even knew you needed it. And so uh, thank you so much for those men and women in teams that came in to uh, cover for us while we were gone. It was it was so worth it, and y'all were so loving during that time. But we are glad to be back, and we've got two more sermons, and we will have gone all the way through the book of Mark, looking at the power that Jesus can bring us. And so we see here today that the greatest event in history is the difference between what was and what is. You see, time itself is divided into B.C., the birth of Christ, before that, and then A.D., after his death. And so Jesus is the only God that ever resurrected, according to not only religious texts, but also according to secular texts as well. And he is more alive today than he has ever been. You and I, we have been spiritually dead, but by Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrate today, we can come alive today. So it's hard to believe it's been two Sundays since we were last walking together through this book. So as we peer in these pages, let's just have a a little bit of a refresher. Uh, Jesus has been interacting with people. He's been healing them. He's been providing for them. He has even corrected them in their wrong teachings and Why does he do this? Because he loves them and he loves you. My friends, if Jesus is dealing with you on something, it's not because he's wanting to watch you squirm. It's because he loves you. And in our last time together, we left Jesus on the cross. He had died a sinner's death while he himself was sinless. You see, he was the sacrifice. But at this moment, evil thought it had won. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, the the devil and all of his minions and, and all the evil people were just reveling in the fact that they had finally gotten him. Little did they know what was happening in just a few short days. Those who wanted Jesus crucified were celebrating in victory. As the popular storyteller Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. So if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 15. We're going to be starting with verse 42. Or if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, you should be able to go to events and find an outline there. Or just good old-fashioned notes on the screen. However it may be, it's so important that when you hear God's Word preached, not because of me preaching it, but you remember more when you write it down or when you process it. So I encourage you to walk with me through this. So as our backstory, we continue before I read the scripture, much like watching your favorite television show or movie or reading your favorite book, one dimensional characters are very boring. It's kind of like if anybody Star Trek fans, anybody? Okay, one. All right. Or two. You know that when they beam down to some planet, who's going to get it? The guy in the red shirt. The guy in the red shirt is always gone. He's a goner. You just know that when there's no plot development, you don't know who his family is. You don't even really know what his name is. You just know red shirt guy's going to get it. 
Well, I, I think it's important as we as we look at this, it's important that we kind of build on this Joseph of Arimathea, just so you can fully understand what's going on here, because every good story and character needs a good backstory. So let's take a look at Joseph of Arimathea's backstory. Joseph's involvement in the burial of Jesus is corroborated in all four of the Gospels. When I say all four of the Gospels, I mean all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all speak to Joseph of Arimathea. And they were, there were many Josephs back in that day, so that's why when I keep saying Joseph of Arimathea, then that, that's how they differentiated him. For example, if someone says, you know, James did this, y'all might think it's me, but somebody else that has a James in their family may think it's somebody else. So it's Joseph of Arimathea. And we learn from Luke 23, verse 50, that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Whoa, wait a minute. This guy, Joseph of Arimathea, was a part of the very group that crucified Jesus. He was part of the mob. He was part of the group that put him and, and they had the lust of blood, of Jesus' blood, and they wanted to hang him on the cross. He was part of that. Matthew 27, verse 57, tells us that he was a wealthy man. Luke 23, 50 also says that he was a good and righteous man. So there again, even though he was part of the Sanhedrin, though he didn't, the, the group, whoo, excuse me, table. The, I did not knock it over, Katie, Okay. But um, but the thing is, is that he was a good man, but he was in a crowd in a group that was doing very bad things. So you will see in just a moment when I read verse 51 that Joseph was actually a secret follower of Jesus Christ. He was in the secret service, in the Lord's secret service. But I got to tell you, there's no such thing as the Lord's secret service. As we read this text, I want you to think about the way Joseph must have felt, having been part of the group that was crucifying Jesus while still believing in him, but remaining silent. That's right. He remained silent. Can you feel, if you would allow yourself just for a minute, would you allow yourself to feel the weight of the guilt of Joseph of Arimathea as he looks up and sees the man he believes who is the Christ hanging by the work that his group did, and he could have said something, but he didn't. You feel the weight of that? Our Savior hanging mutilated on a cross, lifeless, that was meant for him. And that cross was meant for you and I as well. So, with all of that said, let's jump into the Scripture. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, which was the day before the Sabbath. And as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, I love this, took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. You see, Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman soldier and asked if he died yet. The officer confirmed. The officer confirmed. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he could have the dead body. What we see here in this passage, first of all, is that every transformation has risks. Every transformation has risks. Joseph shrunk back 
then. But when it was time to identify with Jesus and his death, something welled up within him and he decided, I don't care about my my popularity. I don't care about my position in the Sanhedrin. I have been a part of this. I want no part of this anymore. I want to make it right. So I am going to claim the body of Jesus. I can imagine all of his cohorts there in the Sanhedrin thought, dude, what are you doing? Do you realize what you're doing? Joseph's guilt over the conspiracy had been part of and compelled him to risk his position in the Sanhedrin, his prominence in the community and his wealth. He could be canceled for this, folks. He could be a hashtag. He could be trending. He could be the butt of everybody's joke. He could be a social media meme because he's standing up like this. Imagine Joseph once stood with the Sanhedrin. Now he himself is setting himself apart for Jesus. Imagine the humility that Joseph had to muster up to approach, to even approach Pilate. I am sure Pilate said, hey, now, now I thought you wanted Jesus dead. Now you're the one coming up and wanting to be part of the group that buries him? I don't get this. And what happens is, is they basically, they tried to rush the crucifixion so that they could get Jesus in the ground before Sabbath. With the Sabbath approaching the next day, they wanted to tie up all their loose ends, removing Jesus off the cross. Why is that? Because one, they didn't want it to be messy. They didn't want people, they didn't want that untied knot, so to speak. And number two, I am sure that they felt shame and guilt when they saw that. It was just a reminder of, I don't know if you've ever been a part of that where you just get worked up into a frenzy or you see, sometimes there'll be people that'll just walk up to a riot and they don't know what everybody's rioting for. They ask somebody, they tell them, and I'll say, okay, I'll riot too. And then all of a sudden it gets bad and then they wonder, oh my goodness, that got bad fast. Well, the religious leaders are trying to clean their mess up. The Sabbath began at sundown on Friday and it ended at sundown on Saturday. Jesus died just a few hours before sundown on Friday. It was against Jewish law to do physical work or travel on the Sabbath. And it was also Jewish law to let a dead body remain exposed overnight. I mean, not to let, but not let one overnight. But it was Roman custom. Though. Remember, the Romans are the ones. It was a Roman cross that killed them. A, a Roman penal system. A, a, Roman, a Roman structure that the Jews used to crucify Jesus. So normally, the Romans would allow those that are crucified, their bodies to stay on there for as long as it took. For, for animals to come feast off of them. Or for when you're walking your children by it, it serves as a billboard to say, look, if you mess with Rome and break the law, this is the consequences. They didn't care about the body. And many times when people were crucified, they didn't die quick. It was a long, torturous, struggling death. Relatives or friends could request the body of the crucified, but they would need to make a request to the Roman magistrate. This is why Joseph went to Pilate. Pilate was the governor. Pilate was the one that washed his hands and said, He's yours. Crucify him. And now Joseph is the one standing up and saying, I want his body. He goes back to Pilate. So Pilate here is in the driver's seat again. It's his decision. Even Jesus' corpse was in Pilate's hands. 
But Jesus died quickly. As I said a moment ago, normally crucifixions would last a long time. But sometimes, if they wanted to make the, the prisoner die fast, they would break the person's legs on the crucifixion. That way, he could not push up. Crucifixion, you die from suffocation because your rib cage cannot expand and contract. And if your legs are broken, you can't support yourself to make sure that you breathe. So normally, if it's taken too long, whack, and then it's just a matter of time. But you know what? There's something different here. In Psalm 34:20, it is prophesied in the Old Testament that there would be no bone broken on the Messiah. So even thousands of years before, it was prophesied that his legs would not be broken. And I want to say again, as we see in John 19:31 through 36, it corroborates this: Jesus was dead. There are people out there, there are theories out there. There's one called the swoon theory. You ever heard of the swoon theory? The swoon theory is, well, Jesus got so tired that he blacked out on the cross. And then so, regardless of the fact that his, the meat and the bones of his back were hanging out, and he was stabbed in the side where blood and water flowed from a ruptured heart, there were still some that say he wasn't really dead. He was just passed out. And so they, they took him off the cross and they put him in this tomb, and then he woke up enough to be able to gather himself off the table, be able to take that stone that, because of gravity, was sitting in a track rolled against the opening to where he would have to push not only the weight of the stone, but the gravity to go up that gradual incline, and so still had the strength to push that up, get past the Roman elite guards, much like special forces today, and, and that's how he, that's why the tomb is not empty. Well, you've got to connect a lot of dots to make that thing work. And it doesn't work. As they used to say, that dog doesn't hunt. The truth is, Jesus died. So when you talk to people about other religions, you sit in your coffee houses or your libraries or, or you're talking online about all these things, I want you to understand, Jesus was as graveyard dead as anybody. There was no life. He was dead. Joseph of Arimathea was a secret follower of Jesus who is boldly now remembered for what he did for Jesus. Jesus was crucified for the penalty of your sin and mine being placed upon him. It is this act that makes forgiveness even possible today. And though this world wants to kill and cancel the gospel of Jesus, there will always be people willing to come out of the background and take a stand. Next, when we go to Mark 15, verses 46 and 47, this is a beautiful passage. Joseph of Arimathea provided for Jesus in a way no one else could. Joseph of Arimathea provided for Jesus in a way that nobody else could. In verses 46 and 47, it says, Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross. And he wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Look, when we see these beautiful passages or these beautiful movies and passion plays where, where there's this big, huge door that looks like some kind of Egyptian-built uh, beautiful building with a nice round stone around it and this huge doorway for Jesus just to kind of sashay through. It wasn't like that. 
The tomb of Jesus was likely a hole, maybe a four by four hole in the side of a mountain. But even then, it was something spectacular for someone. If you had a grave, a graveside like that, you were something. I am sure Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Joseph brought a blanket to wrap the mutilated body of Jesus. I think of weird things every now and then, but do you think? As Jesus was brought out of the, or he wasn't brought out of that tomb, but he said, as he was wrapped up in those cloths and taken to the tomb, do you think his mother Mary may have just remembered when he was first wrapped in swaddling clothes at the manger? It says in the Bible that she treasured these things in her heart. He came into this world wrapped in swaddling clothes for support and strength, and now he is leaving this world in cloth, in, cloth, in strips of cloth. Can you feel the dead weight of the Savior being lowered off of the cross? If you've ever had to lift somebody that either has passed or or, or, or an animal or anything that used to have life in it, and all of a sudden you realize it's dead weight, it feels like a ton, doesn't it? The dead weight of Jesus, again, he was dead. The dead weight, lifting him off of that cross. And I'm not trying to be uh, melodramatic here. I just want you to feel the weight of what's happening here. The harsh reality of death. And God used Joseph in a specific way. Although Joseph did not stand for Jesus while he was alive, he did stand up for Jesus when he was dead. He served Jesus in a way that no one else could because Peter and John, I mean, Peter, James, and the other disciples, John was there, but Peter, James, and the other disciples, they couldn't help Jesus right now because they were running and hiding for their lives. It was just John and some women and Joseph. The disciples were missing in action. The women did not have the funds or the political clout to help Jesus have a distinguished burial. And most bodies of the crucified, if you did not have money, if you did not have a place reserved for your loved one, then if you were crucified, you were just thrown in a heap of bodies outside of town. To be left. And so here's what Joseph of Arimathea did. He said, I cannot stand to live with myself anymore for not saying anything. So I'm going to go. I'm going to claim the body of Jesus. And I am going to give him the tomb that was meant for me. The tomb that Jesus was buried in belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. He said, look, you, you take it, Jesus. This is for you. If only Joseph would have known that was going to be a three-day rental. <laughs> he didn't know any better. The tomb was his temporary dwelling. To have a tomb located inside of a rock was a sign of wealth. The tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had, he offered, was his own. And then Joseph sacrificed his tomb for Jesus. Jesus, Joseph's act of faith in Jesus' life guaranteed 
that we are still talking about him today. We're not remembering Joseph as the coward who didn't say anything. We're reminded of the guy that once he saw his Savior die, he stood up and he didn't care about the consequences and he gave what only he could give. Mary didn't have a tomb. Peter, James, and John didn't have a tomb. Other members of the Sanhedrin were not going to give him a tomb. Without that, without God's design and plan, Jesus would have been thrown on the heap of bodies outside of town. But Joseph used to, I mean, Joseph was used by God. Due to the schedule around the Sabbath, Mary and the women were able to prepare Jesus. What they could do was stand by Jesus while the disciples ran. They could follow Jesus to his tomb and prepare his body. And due to their devotion, they were the first ones to see evidence of Jesus' resurrection. It says in verse 4 of chapter 16, But as they arrived, they looked up, and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Again, Mary and the other women were walking into that, and Joseph was going into his his burial place expecting to see death, expecting to see Jesus dead. Pilate and the Roman government gained nothing from moving Jesus' body. The religious leaders, they needed him to stay in the tomb, so there's not some kind of conspiracy. Some people try to say, well, the disciples came and got him. How did they get past the guards? So here they go. They, they go into the tomb. They expect to see death. But then it says in verse 5 of chapter 16, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. I can say that would be an understatement. And it says, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is, underline is, he is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before that when he died. The women fled the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing because anyone they said nothing to anyone because they were frightened. Just a side note, the fact that they didn't say anything to anyone, this does not mean that they made no report of the resurrection. It just means that they left the scene of the empty tomb and they did not discuss it among themselves because they were trying to figure it out for themselves. So they did go and make the report. It says in verse 8, the New American Standard uh, Version says this. It says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Just like Joseph of Arimathea, the women did what they could do. These women couldn't speak before the high council in Jesus' defense. They couldn't appeal to Pilate. They, all they could do was stand in the crowds and watch. But here is the takeaway here. I want to show this to you on the screen. Folks, do not waste your effort over worrying about what you cannot do for Jesus. But invest your effort in what you can do for Jesus. Nowadays, if you'd have been Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph would have gone into counseling and sought 
consolation and how to treat the fact that he had guilt over denying Jesus. Instead, he didn't stay in the past and wallow in that. He said, this is what I can do now. Do not waste your effort worrying over what you cannot do for Jesus. And instead, invest your effort into what you can do for Jesus. So as we're wrapping up our time here, the title of the message was The Power of Was Versus Is. The Power of Was Versus Is. My friends, Jesus was dead. You know where I'm going. You want to finish this for me? But he is alive. He is risen. And that is the one thing, again, you can get into your your social circles and, and you can get with all your friends that are a whole lot smarter than me and you can talk about all the different religions and how they think it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe something, you'll get there to heaven eventually. No. There is only one God that died. We know he's dead. You cannot say it's a figment of imagination because the Roman guard and witnesses confirmed the fact that Jesus was dead. As Jerry Clower said, graveyard dead. No life. But then he has risen. And that, that woo! I'm going to get excited about that. But let me tell you something else. James Strickland was dead in his sin. But is forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did in the resurrection. You are who you once were. But you are a child of the living God. And you don't have to live below in the guilt of whatever you're living under because it is Jesus is the one that has come to set you free from it so much so he died for you to be free. It's not about what who you were or who you are, but it's it's who who you are in Jesus. Quit living and worrying about who you was. That's terrible English. But quit worrying about who you was and worry about who you is. You are a child of God. And that is where true power comes from. Power from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Power from knowing Him as your Savior and Lord. Power from saying, Jesus, I have lived my life on my own. I have screwed it up. I've made a mess of it. Please forgive me. Come into my life and help me start anew with you. Placing you in the center of my life. That is where your power. That is the difference between who you was and who you is. So as we close this time, here is the message of the tomb. The invitation of the tomb is, come and see. That's what the women were saying. Come and see. This is the call of the tomb that says, go and tell. And just as Jesus resurrected, you do not have to stay in your current state if you are far from God. The power of was versus is. Though you may feel spiritually dead today, look to the empty tomb. You can be more alive today than you have ever been. And believers celebrate the difference Christ makes in your life. Serve him with what you have. That's all he asks. And that's all he needs. That's all he, Jesus didn't say, Joseph, I didn't want your nappy tomb. 
after you've forgotten me? <laughs> Forget that. I don't want it. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, you bring to me what you've got. I don't care what you did, but it's what you're doing now. You bring what you've got, and I will use it for my glory. And that's what he says to you today.